One, two, three. <laughs> Shall we do one more for luck? One more, one more. One, two, three. Right, sure. RPS Electronic Wireless Show. I'm Philippa War, and with me today are Adam Smith. Hello. And Brendan Caldwell. Hi. Hello. It is the 7th of June 2017, and we have been, as usual, doing all kinds of video games related shenanigans, which we will delve into on the podcast but how are you both first of all how are you doing i'm trying to um sort out the final details of my flights to los angeles because that's where i'm going on friday lunch is a is a pressing concern this is the thing yeah i'm trying to make sure they feed me because that flight is like you basically feel like you've rented the plane and lived in it for a weekend so uh you want to get fed what's the best thing you've ever eaten on a plane that ice cream I think you know the oh. ice cream I speak of, Pip. It was, um, we were on a flight to GDC and we were sitting next to each other, uh, Pip and I, and Pip fell to sleep and they came around with the best goddamn ice cream I've ever had in my life. And mm. I think as soon as you woke up, I told you how good it was. And I didn't mean it as a joke. It genuinely was amazing. <laughs> I was furious. It was like, why would you not wake me up? Surely you know how my priority list is structured. You, you, were, you were peaceful, so I thought. <laughs> and the thing is, I couldn't like take some ice cream and keep it because it would have melted. A lesser person would have taken the ice cream anyway and then had it themselves. So I don't, I mean, that wouldn't, I wouldn't have been taking it from anyone. That would have been a victimless crime. I would have been the victim. I don't even remember what flavour it was now. I don't think they have a name for that flavour. It was... Airplane ice cream. Mm. Never anything like it. It's not the best. It's not the best thing I've ever eaten on a plane. It's the best ice cream I've ever ever had anywhere. I wish I'd never asked this question. Although I was on a long haul flight somewhere, and they came round with cookies in the middle of the flight, and the man next to me had fallen asleep, and the the lady was kind of like, "Oh, is he, you know, essentially." does he want this? And I was like, oh, you know, I'll look after it for him in case he wants it when he wakes up. <laughs> totally ate two biscuits. I don't think I've ever eaten anything nice on a plane. I think I still live in the 70s. Yeah, but like, surely that means that you can like smoke and drink cocktails on the plane then, right? Yeah, and abuse the staff. <laughs> God bless the 70s. <laughs> right, well, because all of the 
publishers and developers and people are essentially holding all of their announcements back for E3. The thing is, are they? Because I, well, I feel like they've already, everything's already been announced. I'm trying to think what were the surprises last year. And there was Quake Champions hadn't been announced. Um, I'm sure there were a couple of others, but it does feel like most things are already a known quantity. I think we've already talked about this last week. But I feel like we know most things this year. Even I, who am going there and have secret meetings with people, I know what the things are in those secret meetings. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying don't be excited, but, you know, the sequels. (laughs) 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 So the thing I was getting at, though, is that although a load of stuff has been, like, they've announced that they're announcing it, or they've announced oftentimes that they'll be talking more about it to D3. And so the net effect is still the same of you know that that sense of before the other shoe drops when you can actually know the parameters of the thing being discussed and so this felt like a really good time for us to do our um the games that we have really enjoyed this year so far feature so games that already exist rather than games that are going to exist yeah because then people can actually play them and yeah. know about them and read about them, right? <laughs> well, I think we do spend too much time as an industry as a whole looking forward to things rather than appreciating what we've got. So let's do that. So the the basis for this segment is that we put forward our choices for the best PC games of 2017 so far. But in the comments section, our readers started to put forward their suggestions. And I figured we could actually run through those and talk a little bit about why they were or weren't considered for inclusion. How come they didn't make the list? Is it that we haven't played them? Is it that we kind of forgot which year everything actually came out in? You know, that kind of thing. So the first on the list was somebody proposing Hitman and then remembering that Hitman came out in 2016. We did exactly the same thing. It was, uh, I think it had three votes on our list because the list has to be things that we voted for in-house as staff. So it's not just, you know, here's a thing that we think is probably good. Somebody had to put it forward. Um, so, so it is all things that we, we have somebody on staff who's played and liked. And yeah, Hitman got three votes, um, which was as much as anything else, I think. I don't think anything got more than three, just because we don't all get to play things. Uh, and it was only uh, maybe a week after the list had gone up that I think it was Graham who pointed out, you know that there wasn't even a single episode of it released in 2017. <laughs> it was just like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, okay. It was just more elusive targets, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just that it was it was still here. Yeah, I mean it's it is, and also I think that the, the full collection was released as a as a boxed game, which uh, obviously doesn't interest us anyway. But that might have even been 2016. I don't know. But it do, it does feel a shame that it can't be in because I think yeah, it's still good. I'm still playing it. The second one um, was actually a thing like it's a turn based tactical RPG called Battle Brothers. Have either of you heard of it or oh, played it? Oh yes, I have. <laughs> I think you have as well, Adam. Yeah, are you not a fan? No. Um, I I'm a, I do like I it. I like um, it, but but uh, I I haven't played it for a long time. So what do you do? You are uh, a band of mercenaries on a uh, a world map kind of thing, and you roam around hiring drunkards and farmers in bars in this l- low fantasy kind of universe, and then you get into battles with them as your brothers, um, and then they die as your brothers. 
um, and you feel sad because you've invested a load of money in them by giving them a new pitchfork. Um, and and then you just kind of do that until there are no brothers left to battle. <laughs> That's a really good description. <laughs> it's it's one of those kind of games where you manage your little squad and then you get into fights tactically on a on a diff, on a different kind of map. You get jobs off people so you can get more money to hire new people and give them better armor and weapons and yeah yeah. But it's never enough. It's no, never enough money. I think I think. I I haven't played it since it actually came out because it was in early access for a long time and um and I I really enjoyed it but but I think that the big thing that they've done uh as they got close to release is is made the actual overland map more interesting because it did used to be quite static you'd kind of wander around it's procedural so like um you know there's there's no kind of overarching story to the map and you I just felt like you you wander around I love the combat it feels really tense because it's quite brutal it's like uh it's turn-based but like um someone gets hurt and they're pretty much screwed a lot of time you know you just you, you yeah it's it's very deadly um and it's permadeath so you lose someone and they are gone uh but but it, i didn't really know why i was doing it there wasn't enough structure to it now I, I hear from people whose opinions i respect that the release version is really really good i just haven't got around to playing it yet but i, I certainly will i think it was out last year so yeah it's, yeah it was i wrote about it um sometime last year uh, when it first went into early access and i've been back to it a few times since but but not um not since actual launch as a related question then how do we adequately approach early access games with these kinds of lists because i did end up putting a bunch of early access stuff in as my own selections so things like astroneer um and i think orblands which we'll talk about more Later. I think it absolutely depends on the game because I think that some early access games are a skeleton um, and some early access games are already an entire person. They just have a hat on or, you know. Um, <laughs> and, but no, yeah, I think I think that it depends on the game. If, if we believe that it's, you know, one of the best games of the year, I don't think it really matters whether it's early access or not. Because then you get into the whole thing with, um, what's the term, like living games, you know, like... Um, you know, games that have been released but are still being tweaked and changed. Well, I was thinking about that with things like Dota and League of Legends and things because they definitely have patches that are stronger than others. And I've been wondering whether to start lobbying for particular, you know, iterations of that to be included in the, uh, you know, games of the year stuff or when a particular game does an event well, you know? Yeah. So, you know... Obviously, a lot of these things are MOBAs, but you also get it with MMOs. You know, when they do a, a particular time-limited event, if they did that well, then does that then requalify them for being worthy of, you know, a, an accolade at the end of the year, which is an interesting no. thing. <laughs> I say no. Uh, the only reason I don't want to do that is because if you do that, then... It's kind of like opening a whole other, uh, like, I don't know, can of earwigs. Is that a saying? That's worse than a can of worms. It's like it's like the, the yeah. deluxe version of a can of worms. They wriggle and they're faster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because like if you include all, you start to include MMOs and stuff that have been out for years, then you you start to you're gonna have to look at all of them, and we don't play all of them all the time. Um, yeah, I don't want them there. They're not new. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Only new things. That's where you're at with all of this. Um, well, in that 
vein or rather sort of following that train of thought somebody else has mentioned Stellaris Utopia as something that they would have included so how do you feel about that one no it's not new get out I think expansions are a strange thing because they can they can change a game significantly make it so much better I was going to write something about Utopia because I think that um one of the hardest reviews I've ever written was my Stellaris review because I think that Stellaris was one of those games where I was like, this is good, but it has the potential to be very good. I think it'll get a lot better. And I think Utopia has made it a lot better. But I, I would actually go with Brendan in that I think that you, we can talk about those things, but I'd rather look at new games. I mean, like Crusader Kings 2, the paradox one I always go back to, you know, it's been out for five years now and it doesn't feel like the same game it was anymore. And I could argue it's my favorite game of the year every year, and I, it probably would be. Um, and there's enough change in it that it would be, but, you know, move on. I think it's interesting for me in that respect, because I would have wanted Submariner to put Sunless Sea on our best ofs last year, because it really opened that game up to me. And also, I think it had fixed a lot of the problems that it launched with. And so the game itself was a better experience. And the um, the expansion was the reason that I picked it up again so it's an interesting one because i think that chimes with the person who mentioned solaris utopia was that that was why they picked it up and then they obviously got the entire thing all at once so it's kind of an interesting thing although yeah i i would think that your approaches are the the better way to make sure that we're constantly highlighting new things rather than the same things over and over uh, what else did people say? Well, let me have a little look. Thimbleweed Park was another one. Yeah, well, I, I really liked Thimbleweed Park uh, and I gave it a very positive review. I think that um, I, I got shouted at, actually, for not including it um, uh, from Claire, my girlfriend, because we played it together and she, it's her favourite game of the year so far. Uh, and when I told her that I hadn't put it on that list, because I tell her things like this over dinner, because what the fuck am I? Um, <laughs> she, she was uh, uh, she was like, you know, but it's the best game out that we've played this year. And I was like, it isn't, though, is it? And then she got very angry at me. And I, th- I think it's really, really good. I think there's just, just too many little niggling things about it in there that, that, that just knock it off my, my personal list and I don't think anyone else wanted it to be there or had played it. Uh, I know John wasn't a big fan of the bit he played. I don't know if anyone else has played it. You guys haven't, right? I played a bit, which then resulted in that feature about oh, that's right, yeah. a hidden object adventure could be used for if you you know, if you're coming back and just want the nostalgic experience. Um but obviously that is a very specific way of playing yeah my 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 think my thimbleweed park thoughts a few months after release is that at its like the best parts of it i think are absolutely amazing but um the the stuff that i criticize in my review which is that i think there's too much um referential humor too much kind of meta humor too many um like geek references that that are either clues or humor and it's a mystery game it's a game about being a detective or being detectives and there's all these red herrings that are actually just supposed to be jokes. But if you don't get the reference, then it feels like they're important clues, but they're just like throwaway gags. And I, I, I think that it, it just didn't stick to its guns in terms of being a good mystery story. 
like trying to investigate a murder with your friend Steve, who's always quoting The Simpsons. Yeah, but you don't understand what he's talking about. Exactly. It's like you know, he's like a you see a dead a dead person with their face burnt off, and he's like, oh, the goggles they do nothing, and then you spend like four days looking for goggles, and he's like, it was a joke, and I don't even get that. What is that? Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Fuck Steve. <laughs> Uh, one of the others which came up a few times was Hollow Knight yeah which uh, I haven't played I've played a little bit and I only played a little bit because I thought it was just okay yeah it's it's one where I fell in love with the art style and I played it a bit when it was in early access either early access or I had a build for it Um, and it was lovely in the in the atmosphere that it created but i think it it just wasn't quite catchy enough with the the actual interactions like i didn't quite find myself compelled to go back and back and back you know i know a few people who swear by it um i've been tempted but i i think i've got a bit of a tin ear for those kind of games anyway the kind of real i don't know traditional kind of metroidvania type things were um Basically, it's not Dead Cells. We can make that argument for every game on yeah, this list. That's the problem like... with many games, yeah. And imagine if Dead Cells was a bit more like XCOM. <laughs> I might go back in just to check out like what has changed since I played it, though. So that's, an, uh, that's one that I have actually added back onto my list as a result of this feature. Um, the next one was Mass Effect Andromeda. Okay, this is another one of my moments. I've only played two hours of any Mass Effect game, and it was the first one, and I hated it, so I've never played anymore. <laughs> See, like a couple a couple of years ago, I would have been like, "You monster, this is terrible. You should not be like that." I but um, I totally understand that now. I have to say, they're just not my kind of game. It's not like um, I I think they're crap. I just would never enjoy that kind of game. I don't. Think- I'm not a big fan of um, what they what do they call them space opera space opera guns and conversation. That's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of space opera or like um, party romancing and stuff. And that's that seems to be what they are. I don't know. They are exactly that. So I think you're fine to stay away. I didn't play Mass Effect Andromeda because I was really looking forward to it. Um, I loved Mass Effect, uh, the other games. I really like Mass Effect too. But uh, there's been a tendency for Bioware's games to be a bit rubbish recently. <laughs> I played, for instance, Dragon Age Inquisition. I really hated it. It was one of it was the only game in years that I went to the shop to buy and then went back to the shop to give it back because I did not like it. I was just imagining you indignant, like banging on the counter, shopkeep! Well, actually, I was because they didn't accept it back. What? <laughs> was, they didn't take it back. I was like, this game is, is terrible and it's not just bad, like in a, in a game sense it's bad, it's also technically bad. Like, it doesn't run very well on the PlayStation 3 because that's what I was playing it on. And, and they were just like, um, well... Go take a walk, mate. You bought it. Go take a walk. The The point of this story is that uh, I don't trust Bioware anymore, and I trust the reviews that I've read of Andromeda more than I trust them. Uh, and all the reviews said that it was kind of meh. I, I want to discuss this, this place's um, customer rights uh, approach, you know? like what? The go take a walk policy. <laughs> yeah. So there's a game shop in East Finchley, and it didn't accept my Dragon Age Inquisition uh, back, and I was very angry, and I told them as much, and I told them, you're not getting me as a customer again, because I used to come and go in there quite a lot, uh, and I never went in again. And then you moved to Costa Rica. (laughs) 
because I was sick of them. Sick of the <laughs> game shops in East Finchley, London. <laughs> I guess the message of all this is that uh, Mass Effect Andromeda didn't get it onto our list because I got pissed off in a video game shop one time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know someone who's a huge Mass Effect fan, like, to the extent that she has a Mass Effect tattoo and is like, you know, when the early... Because the reviews for Andromeda came out before the game was out and she was really angry. She was like, you know, all these negative reviews, people crapping on the thing that I love and uh, and particularly our review, she was outraged. She was like, you know, like, it's it's so negative and why do people hate it? You know, it's obviously going to be great. And she played it for like six hours and then stopped playing it. And, you know, she has a tattoo, a tattoo. But she, she really did not like it. I think for me, I had... I've put it on my list of things to play after the hot takes had subsided. But also, I it's a game where I feel like I would enjoy playing it with somebody else doing all of the actions and just us collaboratively playing a story. But my partner is so into the Mass Effect universe and kind of knows it back to front that that idea was just never going to fly. Like the idea that I would have some sort of input in this role playing <laughs> Get out scenario of my world. was just, <laughs> it was like, <sighs> and like, yeah, I think he tried to hide his disdain for the idea for all of five minutes and then finally we we just agreed to not do that <laughs> on a tangent you know it's a really good game to do that with though um the telltale game of thrones game i i did that with um with uh, my girlfriend becca and we played were uh you play as like four different characters in that i think and you keep hopping between them um and they don't necessarily have each other's interests at heart like they sometimes play against each other which I imagine if you're playing by yourself is a bit confusing because you're you're trying to get into one character and then just when you've got into what they want what their motivations are you swapped out to another person in in a in a totally different city with totally different motivations um but it worked really well and it was both of us because she would make decisions for two of the characters and then I would get two other characters like she would make a decision as a young king of a northern realm and then it would swap to like his sister in the city or no it would swap to like his brother in some other place and then i would be like no i'm not gonna do that that would help my brother but i'm not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) it was like we're clashing that's awesome i've put that on my list of things to to try out um so moving on to the next one uh paradigm have either of you played that it's a point and click no I don't even know what it is, which is annoying. I hate not knowing things. <laughs> our uh, our recommender, <laughs> Cayman, says uh, it was released around the same time as Thimbleweed Park, but sadly overlooked by most, which is a pity because I enjoyed it even more. Oh. It's another point and click, inspired by the classics, but far more inventive than Thimbleweed Park and genuinely funny to boot. I have to say, I, I, I did see this when it came out and I was really fascinated by the screenshots of it and I, I completely forgot about it and I, I did mean to try it, uh, so I shall do that. By the same person, we also... Ha- Sorry, Brendy, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say I think point and click shouldn't be anywhere on the list because they are from another decade, so get out. You really hate like anything that isn't the new. You're such a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials aren't buying enough point and clicks. <laughs> avocado toast or houses those are your choices so the other ones uh, recommended by that same person are star crawlers and mini ghost so either we have a review of star crawlers incoming because i i I mean i've been looking at it and wanting to do something with it and i just didn't have time myself 
Um, so I I instructed one of our best people to get on it. It looks to me like um, oh god, I've forgotten the name of the game. What's that dungeon master? Legend of Grimrock. It looks like Legend of Grimrock in space, which is an amazing thing. Um, like a first-person RPG. It's got procedural stuff in it, which Grimrock didn't have. Uh, but yeah, it looks really, really good. I'm, I'm annoyed that we missed out on that one at release, so we are we are covering it. I don't know what Mini Ghost is. Uh, it says it's a perfect recreation of an MSX-style retro Metroidvania platformer. Come on, Brandy. Is that is that of 2017? No, that can get out. Oh man, uh, we've got two more. One is Rising Storm Two Vietnam. And sorry, yeah, oh, I was sorry. just going to say it's another one that we have got somebody looking at right now. And this obviously happens a lot. There are a lot of games that I, I, when people mention them and say, you know, oh, you didn't have this on your list, it's like, well, you know, we just didn't have time. But we are covering that, um, and I hear very good things about it. Yeah. Well, this is the problem that you always run into, even with at the end of the year, is stuff that gets released maybe in December yeah. or something hasn't had a chance to bed in, and so it misses the list. But then one isn't thing that I'd like to do this year, list, which I don't so... think we did last year, we've done before, is when we get to our end of year list, is to have all our freelancers contribute as well, because um, a lot of time, if we don't have time to play something, then and it looks interesting, then either Graham or I will get a freelancer to look at it and then it gets to the end of the year and it's like there's a game that we gave an amazing review to and it's not on our end of year list because nobody in house has actually played it yet and ideally we'd all find time to play all these things but you know there's there's just so much hmm. all good to know and now it's time for some quick fire questions with Scott Benson of Infinite Fall. Uh, he is one of the story people and also an animator on Night in the Woods. So, are you ready to go, Scott Benson? I'm jogging in place and like shaking my arms out, yeah. Alright, let's go. Would you rather spend a night in the woods or a day in a mine? Um, day in a mine? Because it'd be very cool and shady, I think. How d- Can I ask a clarification question? How, what kind of mine and how deep? Because that might really, really change it. It's a deep enough mine. A medium deep mine. Okay, am I, am, am I guaranteed safe entrance and exit? You're not guaranteed anything. It's just a mine. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd still pick the uh, the day in the mine because it might be interesting. I've spent some nights in the woods. I don't think I've ever spent a day in a mine, so I'll, I'll take the day in the mine. Okay. You can revive one store or restaurant that has closed down in your hometown. What do you revive? Skylight Diner. It was really great. Uh, it was a local diner place owned by this kind of old, angry Greek guy. Excellent gyros. Euros? One of the two. But it closed down. It got replaced by uh, just some sort of really crappy place. So anyway, RIP Skyline Diner. On a scale of one to trash fire, how similar is your own life to the main character, Maze? May is kind of a uh, composite of uh, people that I've been, uh, my wife Bethany, who's the co-writer uh, of the story, what uh has been, and people we've known. These days, though, I'm 35, and I'm making video games. 
in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's not really that similar these days. Oh, but I need an answer on a scale of one to trash fire. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm dodging the question. I'm just going to go with um, kind of a low smoldering trash fire. Something like that. Like a trash coal. Okay. Why does May take care of rat babies? Like why no other adorable infant animal? That's the only adorable infant animal that she has access to. I, I think May might to take care of others, but we just, you know, history has been silent on this one. In the game, she's a cat, but there are other actual four-legged cats walking around in Possum Springs. What is going on? Well, uh, you know, the, the the animal cartoon people in Night in the Woods are basically just people. Um, we don't really go into their animal natures too much. But I feel like this question is kind of like asking, you know, if evolution is true, why are there still monkeys? That's fair. In reality, would you rather go to the mall with a crocodile or vandalize cars with a wolf? Uh, I'm going to go with vandalize cars with a wolf. Keeping in mind that the wolf is real. It's a real wolf. Okay. Am I friends with the wolf? I guess if I'm doing something with the wolf, then me and the wolf has some sort of accord. I'm still going to pick vandal vandalizing. I think because the crocodile is also going to be really slow at the mall and can't isn't going to be able to like, climb stairs, I don't think. Can crocodiles climb stairs? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to pick the wolf and vandalizing. Is shoplifting cool? <laughs> uh, it's not uncool. Okay. I'm going to have to ask you to explain what you mean. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think uh, who hasn't shoplifted at some point, right? People shoplift pretty regularly. Uh, I think shoplifting within a certain context of being kind of like um, a young dipshit, I think is totally cool. <laughs> Just don't get caught or make it a habit. <laughs> What's the weirdest fan art you've ever seen of your characters? Porn. Endless porn. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of porn. So there's a lot of that? There's like an entire like subdivision of the internet that that is just like, all right, but what do their feet look like? So, yep. I'd say foot porn of the characters. That's probably, that's probably the one that's going to stick with me. Um, why were there so many delays? <laughs> there weren't actually that many delays. There was two, I think. Uh, it's mostly just that uh, making a game uh, takes a long time. There's only three of us. Uh, like a lot of people, you, you tend to underestimate a little bit how long something's going to take. And then you realize about six months in, oh, geez, this is going to take maybe an extra year. Okay, we're going to try to kind of keep pace and just go as fast as we can. But sometimes that just doesn't work out, um, and you don't want to put out something that's, like, garbage, because a bad game is bad forever, but a delayed game is a bummer for six months or something. True. So, yeah. Can you ever go home again? No, nope, not really. All right. <laughs> that was such a bummer answer. <laughs> <laughs> Super! Yay! Right, shall we turn our attention to what you two have been playing this week? Brendy, nominating you to go first. Uh, I've been playing lots of things, but mostly or the thing I want to talk about is Rhyme. It's a platforming, exploratory adventure on a Greekish kind of island. Um, you play a little boy because you're always just this little this little child and uh, you're following from the looks of it the protagonist from journey <laughs> across the across the this island and figuring out puzzles and stuff imagine if prince of persia and tomb raider had a child 
forbade it from ever holding a gun or a sword. And then both those parents died in an accident. And then it was brought up by the protagonist from Journey. <laughs> and then you've got Rhyme. Is that your fanfic? <laughs> That's not my fanfic. That that feels like a, an unspoken canon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's really lovely. It's um, got a lovely kind of Wind Waker almost art style. I was going to say, I expected it to feel a little Zelda-ish. And I, that's probably just because of the art style. It does feel a little Zelda-ish, although it, it doesn't have any of the kind of the combat or the item usage that you would have in Zelda or or, or the um, you know the other characters telling you like blah, 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 and then saying like full sentences. This is a totally wordless game. You just follow a fox most of the time. Um, you get this little fox frame very early on, and you kind of like potter around after him and there are little things to collect and little things to do extra you know so you'll find hidden areas and you'll get like a little piece of a puzzle but mostly it's just following this fox trying to figure out what the story is and it's delivered very journey like you'll come into a big ruin and uh, on one of the walls there'll be this huge mural of like uh, a little figure that looks like the child like pointing to the sky and there's a bird in the sky and it gets struck by lightning and you wonder well what's what's that all about um and then you play the game and you kind of figure <laughs> out you kind of figure out what's going on and the actions in the mural kind of reflect what's going on in the game and it's it's kind of the slow burning mystery i still haven't completed that i played like four hours so i've just met a, a bird that's a, a big hassle he's such a tosser <laughs> Because he stops you from doing like a puzzle in the middle of the puzzle. Like he, he, there are these big balls that like big golden orbs that you roll around, and they change the time of day. So the sun goes down and the moon comes out according to how you're pushing these orbs. And you push these orbs to try and make shadows align, basically. And at one point, the bird just like crashes into your puzzle and says, "Nami, it this orb, it's shiny. It is my orb now." And he takes it in his talents and he flies away and you end up doing this huge extra like world just to get this big golden orb back to where it was before so you could do the puzzle that you were meant to do before. It's like the most annoying sequence, but it's also the funniest in that that happened. But yeah, there's lots of really neat things that, that I love about it. There's a dedicated button for humming. If you press the the, the Y button on a gamepad and there's nothing around, the kid will just kind of go like, and do like a little singing hum. Aww. I want to do a feature which is like the the top ten best like incidental buttons. You know things like that. There's the humming. They I know it wasn't on PC, but Red Dead Redemption had the hat tip, which I always liked. <laughs> Metro has the button to put on the gas mask, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and to wipe it as well. No, but to that... wipe it. That's it. The button to wipe your gas yeah, mask. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Interstate seventy six. If anyone remembers, there's a uh, all. Um, kind of racing combat game and that had the ultimate one which was if you press p on your keyboard then your character got his little radio radio to your kind of i say a wingman but like the guy your like colleague in another car and he just said hey how about a poem and he'd just read a poem to you and <laughs> it was amazing and he had like this whole like loads of them just different poems and it was like all these kind of 70s funk thing and they were just these really sincere poems it was brilliant well it the the button in rhyme is cheating a little bit because it's contextual as well you hum when there's nothing around but when there's like a, a, these little figures with light on them or vases if you press it there he kind of shouts he goes hey 
Um, and depending on the thing, different things happen. Like the vases just smash. So you don't go around smashing vases by throwing your sword through it or like picking them up and throwing them like Zelda or whatever. You go up to a vase and you go, hey, and it literally crumbles before your eyes. Like it's afraid of the shite. So you're saying there's no combat in this, but can you walk up to a, like, let's say this bird and just like say, hey, and all its bones start to crack and turn to dust? <laughs> It will eat you if you do that. Oh, um, the bird is the bird is horrible. But um, I love this button though because um, at one point I I press it like every now and again just to see what what he's doing. Um, but at one point you go into this really really gorgeously designed um, old ruin and there's like grass and moss growing everywhere and water flowing all over the place and it looks like kind of like an old Mayan ruin or something, the kind of thing you would find in a Tomb Raider game. Um, but you come in and the kid is like looking around op like wide-eyed and when you press the Y button in there he goes wow it's just, <laughs> like, it's just like the most fitting little uh, thing he's not humming anymore oh, he's, he's amazed at, at this environment um, so I've been really enjoying it and I would say yeah if you're if you're up for a, a gunless Tomb Raider then then this is for you that's so cute. John actually popped up on IM to recommend it to me. He was like having so much fun with it. And I think off the back of that and how you've been talking about it just now, I, I definitely want to play it. Um, it's rhyme R-I-M-E rather than... Yes, it's rhyme capital R, lowercase I, oh. uppercase yeah. AM, uppercase E. I quite, I quite like the sound of it, but that's it. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> Oh wow. Um John does have a John does have a review on the website which we'll link to so that you don't just need to take my word for it. <laughs> You've got safety in numbers. What have you been playing, Adam? Again, loads of things. Um but the one I want to talk about is Endless Space Two, which uh came out what a month ago, came out of early access. Um nearly didn't make it onto our games of the year so far because it was another one that was reviewed by a freelancer. Um and uh, I was desperate to catch up with it just so I could put it on that list if it was good enough and uh, and it god damn is it's brilliant so it's made by Amplitude the company that made Endless Space 1 obviously but also Endless Legend um, which um, we made our game of the year three four years ago um, and um, which, and so, so they look like 4X games and they play like 4X games they are 4X games so they're strategy games where you start with um, in this case, one planet, and you have to go out and conquer the galaxy, um, or win through diplomacy, or trade, or science, you know, the usual stuff that you'd expect from a kind of civilization in space. The big difference with what Amplitude do is that every single faction in their games uh, has its own rules. So it's not just a case of, okay, I want to be uh, the people who go to space, or I want to be the green blobs that go to space. And the people are really good at diplomacy, but the green blobs are really good at fighting, or the insects that are really good at farming, or that breed really fast. Um, they just have completely different rule sets. So in this, you have a human empire, and they're the most basic ones. They have all the stuff you'd expect, and their special abilities being able to use the kind of imperial influence to build things uh, rather than taking time to do it. So they basically are, you know imperial edicts where they're just like get this done and it gets done um and it's very simple that's very simple classic human beings classic exactly so yeah yeah make this happen it'll take us six months to get it done in two 
and then they do and you worry about what that actually means but you don't see the consequences. It's actually the opposite of what human beings are like, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should have they should have like a procrastination penalty or something. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of um, almost like 40k-esque. It feels like these guys could be the 40k empire, but like in 20, in 30k, maybe not in 20k, that's those. Uh, no, no, we're 2k. Well, it's fine. Yeah, I'm very confused. Uh, but yeah, it feels like the early stages of that kind of imperial dominance, where they're definitely going to go full evil, but they're not yet. Uh, but then, um, so then there's uh, a race called the, oh, I can't remember the name, Veridani or something like that. And they're essentially like space vampires. So their entire thing is that they don't actually have a planet anymore because they pulled out of the Paris edict. <laughs> their entire planet was destroyed. <laughs> and it's just a massive burn. It's basically ash in space. Uh, so they abandoned it. They had to. And the survivors got on board like a big space arc and they live on this space arc. Um, and they can't colonize other planets because they're too... They're kind of too traumatized by what happened to their own planet and they're like we're just going to live in space now because it's too risky we don't want to anchor ourselves to a planet and what they do is the reason i say that space vampires is they, they they fly around in this big arc and the only way they can increase their population is by going into orbit around a planet that's populated and sucking the energy from the people who live there uh, and they just drain them and then they can spread into new arcs or build new modules for their own app so they play completely differently to the humans uh, and then you have like there's an entire faction that uh, this race that come from a parallel universe and they've been sucked through into the endless space 2 universe and they just want to be left alone they don't understand what the hell's going on and then there's one that's all that plant-based and they they build vines that spread from planet to planet and then it kind of um, spread across them that way it's just crazy and it's so difficult to get to know how each one works. Uh, so I'm going to do a diary series on it, and I'm just doing the humans. I was like, I'll do one of the really weird ones. And I was like, that's going to take me about a month to learn. So I'm just going to do the humans. Um, no, that's good, because if you do it from the humans' perspective, and if you don't know how the other ones play, then it is genuinely alien to see yeah, like exactly. a, giant, a giant plant vine coming across. And thinking, what and, does and it do? Like taking yeah. over Pluto and going, well, why is that there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's brilliant. It, it's a strange thing, because I've seen varied opinions on the interface. I think the interface is gorgeous. Uh, but I've seen some people saying it's a little bit too abstract, but I, I think it works really well. But it is a very difficult game to learn. I hope people take the time to learn it. It's it's interesting to compare to Stellaris very, very quickly because um, uh, Stellaris has all the kind of procedural stuff. Its races are new in every game. It makes new races for you. Uh, because of that, because they're not handcrafted, they don't feel anywhere near as strange as the ones in Endless Space 2 because they've been able to just build, like, say, an entire rule set for each race. Um, but yeah, it's very good. That's awesome. I haven't actually been playing uh, video games recently, although I need to embark on a football manager campaign soon. Um, but I went to a board game celebration, as is the UK Games Expo. So we can talk about board games if you two are up for it. What are the best <laughs> board games, Pipoir? <laughs> Do you want to know what I liked? Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering like how how far our tastes will actually align, but um so I really like uh collaborative games and I really like spatial logic games. And so on the um on the collaborative front there was actually something which is 
uh, a board game version of Overcooked, basically. Uh, and so you are, yeah, I know, right? It's called Kitchen Rush, and it is essentially an arrangement of coloured egg timers. So you have your colour, um, and you place them at different stations within this restaurant. So you can place a timer on a waiter to pick up a food order, and then you place another timer on um, something like uh, the the pantry to pick up the ingredients and on the spice rack to pick up the spices and things like that so the way it works the way it limits you is you only have two egg timers each and a kind of floating timer that anyone can pick up and use and you can spend as long as you like on a space but you have to at least meet the the time that it takes for the egg timer to run through um but what you have is you end up with you know four people around a board just desperately like reaching over trying to get things shrieking i need more carrots for the love of god will someone go shopping and get some more carrots for the pantry <laughs> um and so it it just becomes this really stress lasagna making operation where you're just desperately trying to manage your finances and your resources and then at the end of the round you just sort of stare in despair at your at your recipes and try and work out what you've actually completed and what is a, a hot mess that can't possibly be served to anybody and then you get money based on what you successfully made and um, there are a few other ways that you can get money but at the end of it you then have to pay all of your egg timers for their, you know, for their efforts. <laughs> and so you're kind of like, oh yay, we made, you know, we made all of this money. And then it's like, and now we've got one coin, one coin with which to start the next round. This is the worst. This sounds <laughs> so, great. It does yeah, sound great. it was really yeah. fun, actually. I had a lot of good good times but yeah you you end up in that sort of shrieking at each other mode um and a lot of yeah a lot of ridiculous fun the instant you said there are, you get two egg timers each and then there's one shared timer i knew <laughs> i just knew the the atmosphere of this board game which is it's the kind of board game where everybody's hands go in the middle at once and clash each other and then they look at each other fiercely as they say <laughs> no i need to do the pastry like what who is in the oven get them out of the oven (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and obviously there's other like you can unlock other bits and pieces like there's actually a um there's a a fourth uh, no a third pantry which has all of this food in but is on is locked from access until you um you pay to get get it opened up to you and so you know you're kind of like trying to balance the the money that you need to make in order to achieve victory at the end but you also have these resources that would actually help you um get through the thing you can unlock an extra employee and you can you know you can get an extra hob to cook on you know all of that kind of stuff so yeah that was that was really good fun um and the other thing which looked super promising and I was so excited about was called the champion of the wild um and it's a party game with loads of discussion elements and so what you actually have is you have three different events drawn from different categories so like speed and power and endurance and all of that kind of stuff um and then you have a hand of animals um and you have to select an animal 
from your hand to compete in all of those events and then you argue the case for how that specific animal would achieve victory and it's stuff like you have more typical sports stuff so you've got sprinting or you've got high jumping but you also have things like just the ability to be stacked on top of each other or whether it could summit Everest you know <laughs> so you're kind of looking at this kind of collection of I don't know horses and killer whales and kind of trying to work out like which of them you could make a convincing case for um i remember i argued that that a hair would be good for stacking because of how bunnies are always having sex and so oh. presumably hairs were of the similar kind of and and so you could just stack them that, in accordance a with their <laughs> exactly um and i've seen people sort of arguing for the case for rhinos and for you know um kangaroos and things like that which was pretty awesome and obviously it it depends on the amount of effort that people playing are willing to put in but i think it's so rewarding and the scenarios that it sets up by themselves are so ridiculous that i think it it really engenders those kinds of discussions and then you all vote on you know who who was most convincing what were the names of the two games you mentioned so Kitchen Rush was the first one and Champion of the Wild was the second one. Are they out now or are they... Uh, I think Kitchen Rush is on Kickstarter at the moment and I think Champion of the Wild is going to be on Kickstarter. So it's they're, they're these kinds of So we can't even play progress. them, Pip. <laughs> you just you can sold us on them. two very fun signings. Sold us on games. a dream. Sold us on a dream. Wait. I've got a very quick question about Kitchen Rush. Yeah, sure. Are there little plastic food things? They're, okay, so they're little wooden tokens in the okay. shape of like a, a, a bit of meat or in the shape okay. of a pasta that, like do. bow that or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the spices are little coloured cubes. Why Why do you ask, Owen? Because if it had like little plastic fried eggs and steaks, I'd buy it. I, I'm on the Kickstarter <laughs> page now and I was like, shall I back it? And that was the that was, <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the deciding, deciding factor. factor. Yeah, no, exactly. I think you'll really like the early learning centers food section. <laughs> they have some amazing plastic food. I tell you that. I tell you what, though, I do. I do like it. I do like it. Um, Claire buys um, like Doll's House magazines, and oh, yeah. I love the little food stuff in it. I think they're great. I'm like, I know that that's the bit that like gets me. I just like really intricate little things that I recognize. And I just want, I want a plastic <laughs> fried egg. I want a plastic fried egg. <laughs> I think when we went to uh, Rest, when it was still at the NEC, Alice and I bunked off to spend a bit of time at the Dolls House Expo, which was happening down the hall. Um, and we ended up buying miniature food and marvelling at like tiny gardens and things like that. So it's definitely a, a shared affection for, <laughs> for small food things. Oh my god, I cannot think of an expo that has more ghosts in it. Like, <laughs> creepiest thing, like, go to the Doll's Eyes Expo. Oh my god. You don't believe in joy or the past, though, so, you know. I believe in the past, I just don't want to be near it, and I don't want it to come here into the present. Oh, so ghosts are your nemesis, then? <laughs> ghosts are the yeah. manifestation of that, of that feeling, yeah. Well, indeed. So, uh... By dint of certain people 
i.e. us not actually putting a call out for questions this week. We uh, do not have a questions segment, but obviously if you do have any that you would like to submit, then hit us up on Twitter. Um, we are at Rock Paper Shotgun and you will hopefully be able to bolster a, a double length questions segment for next time. Um, so please accept our apologies on that front. Um, or just email any one of us. Indeedy, you can click on our names on any of our stories and I believe that should take you to a page of our email address and trigger some kind of interaction on that front. That's how it works, right? Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> In that case, our final bit today is going to be a discussion of the tiny game Orblands. I believe uh, it's me and Adam who have played this one and Brendy uh, couldn't get it to work, but that's maybe worth flagging up just because it's something that I think only works in some browsers and not others. And so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people will be able to play it. But So I'll be the interrogator here. What is Orblands? Do you know what? I, I know it less well than Pip, but I... I'm going to say what Orblands is, and I defy <gasps> anyone to disagree with me. It is Proteus Ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of Proteus as an FPS. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, see, I say it's Proteus as a weird future sport for which I have imagined and created canonical rules. <gasps> Ooh, I like that. So, like, so the way that Orblands presents is that you're in really, really beautiful uh, landscapes and you're kind of dropped into them and there's really gorgeous lighting and like all these hills and trees and, and you're there and then you have a little arrow that tells you where a ball is, an orb, I guess. Um, and they, they kind of trundle around the place um, and, well, they don't trundle, they hover, don't they? And you just have to go and collect the ball. Um, I started playing this and I was like, it's so beautiful. And at first I didn't realize that you had to do anything because it's one of those games where you're like, this is a little, it's a small game. It's really pretty. I probably don't have to do anything because I'm so used to that now. I'm just like, I'm just here to look at things and I'm going to be very satisfied with that. And then I was like, oh, wait, there's an arrow. And then I followed the arrow and I was like, there's a little thing and it's running away from me, this orb. It's trying to get away or keeps going up this hill and I'm trying to catch it. And eventually I caught it and it's like, you know, it basically, it doesn't say congratulations, but it kind of, you know, gives you a reward noise. And, and then there's two orbs to catch and, you know, you have to do it again. Um, and then eventually just gives you a new area. And I assume the areas are all procedural. I mean, um, and and then I got this really weird area where I could see the edges of it. I was like in a cube and there's like mm. an island within a cube. And I thought this is amazing. It's, it's great. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. It's hard to get across how pretty it is. It's, um, it's, it's very, very, very attractive. And, um, and, and so eventually I was like, you know, okay, so I'm in this place and I've got to catch the orbs. And the only thing I get is that it tells me how long it took me to catch them. So then in my head, I was like, there's this whole Hunger Games thing. <laughs> where people are dropped into these environments uh, which are clearly artificial I thought because you can see the edges of them in this box uh, and you're put into it and maybe it's your district or whatever and you have to catch the orbs uh, before the other people in the other boxes and if you're the slowest then your family are put to death or your district is starved and so it became quite a dark game for me yeah <laughs> oh my goodness but I like it I like it a lot. You've really fleshed out the lore of it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think because this is one of the games where I figured I would use this podcast segment to just force you to play a thing that I've liked and that I'm worried no one will have played by the end of the year, <laughs> essentially. And for me, uh, it's so it has that visual style of 
you know, sci-fi paperbacks, kind of in the mm. way that No Man's Sky does, but as a lo-fi version. And so you have, yeah, you have these rainbow balls that, yeah, zoom around and you're trying to... You have a limited amount of ammo with which to shoot them. Oh, yeah, so that's where that, part, yeah. Of the, yeah. part of the gamified stuff comes in, I guess. But it's more just a an artificial... Um, not an artificial constraint, but it's just a different way of making you value those interactions and not just spamming your gun mechanic i guess and when you when you capture one of these things you do it by shooting it and it explodes in this rainbow firework kind of effect which is just so over the top and pleasing and pretty that it doesn't feel shooty exactly it doesn't feel shooty to the extent that i forgot you shot them um and <laughs> well it's because I, I, I tend to run right up to them and then just hit them so each time you max out, you you get the target number of um, balls from that level, it then takes you to a new one. But you can also just trigger the new environment if you just want yeah, to have a look not, around. I mean, it's tr- quite challenging to do it, but it's not like you're, you're locked into it. You're not really progressing in any way, are you? Because it's all random, so... But yeah, so it's it's absolutely stunning, and I just it I is. Really it's, enjoyed... it's really hard to get across how good it looks because because I, I, there are a lot of these kind of games, and I feel like saying this kind of games does it a disservice. But I think people get what I mean, like this, um, you know, the generated first-person worlds. You, you see them a lot these days, um, and but this one really does look amazing. Like, uh, and I I think you know I said Proteus Ball at the beginning. It doesn't look anything like Proteus. It's not got that kind of uh, Amiga-esque graphical quality to it um it's a very different look but but yeah it's, it's really really beautiful i was surprised actually because um i'd seen screenshots of it and i just thought you know well it's not gonna look that good it actually looks better because i think the lighting is so beautiful when it hits the water especially yeah i think i um so you get every time you complete the the ball uh, quotient from a level it goes up by one for the next one and so I think the highest I got to was about 11 so I'm wondering whether that's you know going to when the game is fully finished going to function as the um, the way by which you judge how well you did and how many of your districts survived <laughs> I know you've got such. A I only got six, so you know you, to this. you've uh, you've killed you've killed my neighbours by, <laughs> by getting eleven balls. I like that we are sort of you know highlighting these little games that people might end up missing. So I think it's good. But yes, that's about it for this week's RPS Electronic Wireless Show. Um, next week, Adam is actually away at E3 doing all kinds of E3 business. Um, so if you fancy submitting questions specifically about what's going on out in LA, please do so. You can email him directly, adam at rockpapershotgun.com, um, or you can just submit a question as normal via our Twitter account. Um, but yeah and the other thing that we were going to say is if you like what we do on this podcast if you could drop us a review on uh, iTunes that would be amazing just because it helps other people to surface this in their in their podcast searches um, and find things that they might like so yeah if you like the podcast iTunes recommendations are always beloved by us I believe um, I think that is all that we have time 
for. So, uh, shall we hit the road, you guys? I just want to say I have my meal for the flight that was sorted during the podcast. <gasps> I have, nice. I think it's called a nice and tasty, which I think is their way of saying the cheapest option. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what it actually is? Is it a nice and spicy as in knickknacks? It is just ice cream for eight hours, <laughs> Pip. Eight hours of ice cream. I hate you. I'm leaving this podcast. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. seeing someone going like hey that thing you you drew with that's like mostly circles and stuff that is hot <laughs> it's like if you posted a really good sandwich you made online you're like oh this sandwich rules and then someone's just like i want to fuck that sandwich <laughs> <laughs> all right okay anyway <laughs>